Welcome to Heart of the Enneagram. I'm Chris Copeland. And I'm Sandra Smith. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. is not meant to categorize us. It's not meant to put us in a cage or in a box, but really it provides us this key for more freedom, more liberation, more choice, so that we can live out of our fullest, deepest, truest selves in the world. And gosh, what else are we created to do but that? Sandra, welcome back to Winston-Salem, and we're on the campus of Wake Forest University. I love coming back to Wake. It's always good to be here. It's a homecoming. It's a homecoming, (laughs) even on this rainy day. Yes. So this is the first episode of our season four, and I have to say, I'm a little surprised and delighted that here we are at season four of Heart of the Enneagram. Yeah, and it's just stunning. We have now over 100,000 downloads. over 80 countries, and we've had a blast, We have had such a great time. We've learned and had fun along the way. And part of our learning, you know, as we have, you and I have taught the Enneagram through this podcast and other ways over the years, is there some mythology, and I mean that in the sense of uh, stories people tell that aren't quite true about the Enneagram, and part of what we want to do in this season is begin to name some of those myths, shine some light on them. Uh, And at the same time, we've had listeners who've been asking us questions, and we wanted to highlight some of those questions as a way to engage our listeners and also learn more about the Enneagram. So we'll be doing myths and questions this season. I'm very excited about this. Yeah. And even those of us who've studied the Enneagram for years, sometimes these myths will sneak up on us. So it's good to be reminded to pay attention Uh, The ideogram at first glance seems very accessible and is, but oftentimes we miss the depth and the complexity of it and turn our type into a fun kind of parlor game. And the system really isn't a typing system. I've said that before, but that's just point number one. For sure. You know, um, I tell people that so I've heard someone said to me recently, you know, you're an Enneagram expert. And my response was, you know, I know a lot about the Enneagram, but the more I learn, the more there is to learn because there Beautiful. is layer and layer and layer and layer. And, you know, in this podcast, it's certainly a short episodes, but we're really trying to begin to peel back some of those layers and not just stay on the surface. Right. That's beautifully said, Chris. And we've talked about this, but one of the great myths of the Enneagram is that it's a system that puts us in a box or it pigeonholes us. Mm -hmm. That's the first myth we wanted to explore today is this sense of like, you know, I don't like this typing system because it tells me who I am or who I have to be. And our beloved friend and colleague, David Daniels, would often say, you know, the Enneagram doesn't put us in a box, but it helps us recognize the box that we're already in. And yes. every time I teach that, honestly, I get chill bumps in my, because it's just so deeply true. Yes. I am using currently in my work this uh, quote from the Persian poet Hafiz. And the quote goes like this He says, The small person puts everyone he knows in cages, while the sage who has to lower his head when the moon is low, drops keys all night long for the beautiful, rowdy prisoners. 
Beautiful. Just important to remember that this isn't a cage, but a key mm-hmm. to help us unlock these automatic patterns to show us what trips us up so that we're not our own worst enemy any longer. Absolutely. We, we tend toward these habits and these patterns, and the Enneagram really wakes us up to that, and yeah. as you say, gives us a key. And what I also love, and I think part of what you and I care a lot about is, it's not just having the key either, but it's also using the key, right? Right. We say there's a difference between learning and growing. Mm-hmm. Learning is the first step, but how do we use that? Yep. You know, the Enneagram is not meant to categorize us. It's not meant to put us in a cage or in a box, but really it provides us this key for more freedom, more liberation, more choice, so that we can live out of our fullest, deepest, truest selves in the world. And gosh, what else are we created to do but that? Right. Uh, To stay on automatic or to continue with a knee-jerk response to life really is Mm self-limiting. And using the Enneagram to grow us to deepen our own self-awareness allows us to stop limiting. And as you said, Chris, grow into our own fullness. Fullness. Sometimes the Enneagram is used also as a way to limit people. And one of the ways I've seen that, Sandra, is when we put people all of a certain type and we say, oh, they're all eights are like this or all fours are like this or all twos are like this. And that is also a a way we limit the power and the scope and the depth of this powerful system. You know, we are unique individuals. This is not a cookie cutter system. Mm -hmm. And I think part of our training in the narrative tradition with panels is a way to flesh that out a little bit where people see, oh, boy, there's a panel of ones up there, but they're not all alike. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a system that says, well, those ones up there have the same internal operating system or they're processing information, taking it in similarly, but what we do with it at that point is a unique expression. Exactly. That's that. The shorthand of that we often talk about is motivation and behavior. So, you know, motivation across types, so all ones, have that same core motivation and that same tendency toward focus of attention. But the behavior, the response to that is going to look different because of culture, background, family system, uh, gender, race, all of those things are going to impact behavior. So all ones, all eights, all threes, all sixes are not going to look the same. Right. It's just a good, it's a good point to keep in mind. And we, one of our listeners actually sent in a question uh, with this in mind. Uh, so let's, let's listen to Allison's question. My name's Allison. I live in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. I often feel nervous about sharing my type with others because of the assumptions and stereotypes associated with type eight. People's reactions are usually along the lines of, but you're not a bulldozer, or you don't seem like you wanna control everything. So what's your advice to me on how to avoid the pitfalls of getting stereotyped based on these assumptions and misconceptions about my type. Oh, Allison, I, as another aide, I so understand. And you know, we aides have such tender hearts. And I know that must hurt you because it really, it really hurts my heart when someone comes at me in that way. You know, to say I lead with type eight, people might say, oh. Well, in fact, I've heard people say even recently as we've worked together, they'll say things like, 
well, that must be challenging about the aid or Mm -hmm. get out of her way or things Mm -hmm. like that. And that's, it's so unfair Mm -hmm. because there is, there's an assumption as we've been talking about that every eight manifests in the same way. You know, it denies individuals any work that she or he has done to that point. And also just the different ways that we express our processing system, as we were saying. Yeah. And I certainly experienced this as a four as well. And I'm sure every type experiences this. I know for me, when people say, oh gosh, to my husband, wow, it must be challenging to live with such a moody person. You know, it's like, well, there's a time in my life when I was more moody than I am now, you know, because of work I've done, et cetera. So it's, it's a really, it's a really unkind and unfair thing that we can do when we assume all of one type are the same. And, you know, for Allison, I would simply say, you know, Allison, be yourself Mm -hmm. uh, because you've done your work. Simply be yourself. And it's you get to demonstrate another expression of type eight. I hear that discomfort uh, in sharing that because of the stereotypes people will have. And, you know, how would you respond, Sandra, if somebody said something to you that made some assumptions about who you were just because they knew you were an eight? You know, for me, I would simply say, well, you know, I would like you to see me for who I am uh, rather than putting a stereotype on me. Can you stay with me right now? Mm. Can you see me real? Beautiful. That's what I would say. What would you say, Chris? Yeah. You know, I would say I understand if somebody said to me, for example, something about four, you know, I'd say I I hear that that's your understanding of an aspect of four. And um, certainly there have been ways in my life where that's been true. And I'm more complex than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and I I recognize, I mean, I can be a little compassionate, but I, about people who say that, but I recognize people are trying to use a shorthand and, and all of that, but it just does a disservice, you know, to who I am and who every four is. So, um, you know, I, it's like, please, as you said, please see me, not my type. Right. And, you know, I'm going to say a word about the certification process to teach the Enneagram. There are a lot of folks teaching the Enneagram who haven't been through a certification process, and those folks tend to do more stereotyping. Mm -hmm. Once you've really studied and gone through a process of training, you get to see more of the subtleties and the nuances of the types. The more you really observe yourself, Mm -hmm. you see more parts of you, Mm -hmm. and you stop stereotyping yourself and others. You know, I'm sure it's true for you, Sandra, but every time I lead a panel, I learn something new. Right. I learn something new about any type that's on that panel because I hear a nuance. I hear a complexity Mm -hmm. that I didn't see or understand before, and that's the beauty of the narrative tradition from which Mm -hmm. we come. And that's the important part of this certification process. It really is. And we both are spiritual directors or spiritual companions. And I know that's another arena where I learned so much about type. Uh, Just the other day, I took two pages of notes after someone left because they were such a teacher to me. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, not putting a type on someone, but listening Mm -hmm. to how they take the world in and process it in their own unique way. 
Yeah. It relates. Another question comes up for me. Um, these are for our, our practitioners out there who may use the Enneagram in therapy or spiritual direction or other things. Mm-hmm. I notice sometimes I'll have a directee who will come in and say, well, you know, I'm a two and therefore this, this, or this. That's also a way we self-limit. We're talking about Certainly. how other people might limit us by mm-hmm. type, but we can have a tendency to do that too if we see only the type structure as who we are and say, well, you know, you know me, I'm a two, and this is what happens. And I really want to, and I gently challenge that in spiritual direction. Yeah, and it's also uh, using type as an excuse. Yeah. It is not ethical use of the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. So we can't use it as an excuse or to blame another, um, but to say, huh, you know, there I am tripping myself up again. Right. I know I'm more than that. Mm-hmm. So I will try again. Yeah, beautiful. So those are some, we've named two myths today in our episode, uh, thinking about the, the Enneagram as a, uh, a way that people can trap one another. We don't want to do that or put us in a cage. And also this idea that every type is the same and, and really willing to challenge that myth. And right. we, I really appreciate Allison's question uh, as a faithful listener uh, to help us illuminate that. Yes, me too. You know, I want to add, Chris, to this conversation that introversion and extroversion can really make a difference in all nine types. Mm -hmm. But I've noticed in particular for types seven and two, if you have an introverted seven or an introverted two, that can throw folks off a bit. For sure. Um, They look different. Yep. Or an extroverted five, those rare birds, once you find them, it's like, you're really a five? Mm -hmm. So that that piece really makes a difference in type as well. And it might be worth saying, Sandra, that when we use the word introvert and extrovert, kind of think about that as introvert is that, uh, or extrovert is where one gets energy from groups and, and yes. connection, and introvert getting energy from being with self or just a small group of people. Right. Um, and, and every type can be introverted or extroverted. That's right. And, and to know our type is simply the first step. You're not using the Enneagram until after you know your type. It's a map. It's a key. So now I know what the lock is. Mm -hmm. And the lock is my, are the patterns of my type. So with this map, I have a key. That's exciting. It really is. And so it's not a typing system. We have to remember that. We have another caller who who talks some about how we can misuse the Enneagram. And let's hear from Katie, who's from Thomaston, Georgia. Hi, Chris and Sandra. Ever since I came across the Enneagram wisdom, it's always felt too sacred to just drop it on random people. I found myself being really intentional about who I share the wisdom with because it feels like a misuse to treat it like the daily news. I also find myself being offended when the people I share it with suddenly blast it to everyone they know uh, as sort of a game instead of using the wisdom on themselves. Not to say I didn't immediately share it with my closest circle, but again, I feel very intentional about its advertisement, so to speak. Do you guys feel the same way? Thanks, Chris and Sandra. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. I sure share Katie's frustration when I 
talk with people and they tend to use it as a parlor game. And I know how it's life been life changing for me and continues to be life changing. Mm -hmm. She used the word sacred, which I think is a great word for what the Enneagram has been and continues to be for me. And so when people use it in a kind of flippant way, or I I love her word when drop it on other people. And I do see that and I experience that. Mm -hmm. And it is, I think it's a misuse. Um, and because it's precious, as you say, it's this precious pearl, and I don't want to just sling it around. Well, and we, we talked a little bit about this, Chris, in our first uh, episode in season one, where um, I know I liken it to buying a good pair of hiking boots and finding the right trailhead. Well, that's fine, and that's when we get a type. We know which of the nine is home base. But if we don't then walk the trail, we aren't using the Enneagram map. Mm-hmm. This really isn't a typing system. It's a, it's a system of transformation. And people misuse it thinking it's only a typing system, and then it does become a parlor game. But it's really a map of, of great transformation if we're willing to take the hike. What I would say to Katie is that, you know, as we notice, and I notice this a number of, you know, someone who teaches the Enneagram and interacts with folks all the time, questions they ask or things they say, I recognize that as perhaps more not treating it with the sacredness that I want to. And what do I do about that, you know? And for me, sometimes I might ask a probing question. Sometimes mm. I might just say, you know, I think of it this way, but offer that in a gentle way. And sometimes I just don't say anything because it's where some of where the person is and it's not my role in that moment to say something. I certainly share the frustration. And again, this is why we do this work so that we can treat it with great uh, care and, um, and great um, love really even. And uh, so, and I, and I want to be mindful of that and encourage people to, I say sometimes to my students, you know, use your, your knowledge for good uh, Mm. um, so that as you learn this, don't just go out and just sort of drop it around, but, you know, really continue to go deep with it. But sometimes the truth is we can't control how people do that. We can't. I like, I like what you say, use your power. Well, Um, I've begun saying uh, things like this is bread, not stone. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to put people in a box or pigeonhole. We don't want to use it as an excuse um, that's bad ethics, but to use it as a way to get curious about ourselves. Yeah. We talked a little bit about, Sandra, this key. It's not just about having the key, but about using the key. And so this work is really, um, it's not just the knowledge, but it's, as you say, you know, using that knowledge to grow. Yeah. Um, yeah, cognition doesn't change anything. That's right. So can we, it's fun to learn, but who's growing with it? Uh, who takes themselves seriously enough and is kind to themselves enough Mm -hmm. to use it as a key for growth and going beyond a limited idealized self. Yeah. So Sandra, it comes up for me as you say that, what are some, can you think of some concrete ways that people can, once they understand their type and and use this key to grow, what are some concrete ways people might do that? So your question takes me to some type specific responses. Mm -hmm. You know, as an eight, as I'm trying to grow myself, 
I might sit back in the chair when I'm with someone, especially in spiritual direction, of course, but in meetings or just with friends to sit back, to ask more questions rather than state my opinion, and just to practice soft tone. Mm-hmm. You know, we eights can be tone deaf, but, you know, how do we practice soft tone? Mm-hmm. Softening the eyes, softening how I grip the steering wheel. Those are practices. Yeah, beautiful. I caught myself last week in a mindset that was just a terrible illusion to be trapped in. But for eight, there's an inner narrative, false inner narrative, um, that every eight has, which is you're either with me or against me. Mm -hmm. And eights and six have the same worldview, which is the world is a dangerous place. So I am working with this affirmation that the world is supportive and people want to be kind to me. Beautiful. If I remind myself that, I look for it. And what we look for, we find. That's right. And just that is a softening. Mm -hmm. Wow, people really want to be kind to me. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I want to be kind to them. Yeah. Those are some great examples, Sandra, of practices for type eight uh, in terms of growth. And in a future episode, we're going to look at all nine types, specific practices that each of us can engage in as we're learning to grow. Well, this has been just a really enriching conversation for me, Chris, as we talk about these things. Thank you. You know, as we look to future episodes in this season, uh, we'll be exploring other myths, uh, and we want to encourage our listeners to continue to send us questions, which they can do by uh, recording their voice on their phones and then emailing it to questions at heartoftheenneagram.com. And uh, who knows, we may have some guests along the way as well. We'll see. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. All right. With heartfelt gratitude, I'm Sandra. And I'm Chris. And we invite you to continue to take a courageous and loving look at what is. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including Wake Forest University School of Divinity, for their financial and institutional support. For Sally Ann Morris, who composed our theme music, and for Toby Becker, who provided graphic design. Thanks to Eric Merle for his editing expertise, to Tom and Lynn Berner, who provided recording space, and to the narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders. And special thanks to all of our guests. We offer this podcast as a free resource for personal and spiritual growth. And in order to continue this work, we need your support. Please visit our website, heartoftheenneagram.com, to make a contribution and to purchase our companion book. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.